new encounter in John's gospel. This will be more brief than normal uh, because we're going to tie in the Lord's Supper with this and observe the Lord's Supper together in just a few moments. But I wanted to go ahead and introduce this passage because it's, a, uh, it's important. We'll spend quite some time in the events that are taken up in the fourth chapter of John's gospel. Uh, you know it as the encounter with the Samaritan woman or the story of the woman at the well. And, and in many cases, it's kind of passed over as, by, as like just a, a nice story, a, an interesting story, and, and it's brought out that the Jews and the Samaritans didn't really uh, see eye to eye on very much, and they didn't, didn't intermingle very much. And here Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman also that the Jews, Jewish men, did not in public speak to, to, uh, to other women, even Jewish women in public who were unaccompanied by their husbands. So there's a, a lot of things that we'll see in this as we move through it. But this morning, I want you to notice something just a little different than that. Because I want us to think about this whole idea of living waters that, that Jesus is talking about. And I want you to remember something over our last... 17 weeks of looking at John's gospel, this idea of water has played a, a predominant part in every encounter that he's had here. When we came to the, to the wedding feast at Cana, uh, Jesus goes to this wedding, and there he has uh, the, the, the wedding party runs out of wine, and they have nothing to serve their guests, and so Jesus takes water and turns it into wine. There's water that's involved in that. And we talked about how it was the water in the, in the Jewish regulation legal washing pots where you wash to be ceremonial clean, and Jesus took that water and showed us that the old was giving way to the new, that the old covenant, the old law, the, the old regulations were giving away to the gospel. And we were entering into a whole new dimension, a whole new dispensation, a whole new understanding of God's work among his people. And, and we see some things changing there. And, and Jesus makes it dramatically clear that now this water is showing us that the water of the law is giving away to the, the sweet wine of the gospel. And so water was involved there. When he comes to his encounter with Nicodemus, and Nicodemus comes to him by night and asks him about eternal life, then Jesus talk, begins by talking there in chapter 3, verse 5, about unless, unless a man is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot have life. And, and Jesus ties in water there, the water of the Canaan wedding, the water of, of the, the natural birth giving way to the to the rebirth, and Jesus talked about the importance of being born again, that it's not enough just to be born and be alive and, and be able to, to understand that just by that birth we have a right relationship with God. No, one must be reborn. And he talked about, told Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God. But there's water involved. Must be born by water, must be born by the Spirit. He deals with that with Nicodemus. Then he comes to chapter 4, and he comes to this encounter with this woman of Samaria. And lo and behold, where is it? It's at Jacob's well. It's about water, and it's about being thirsty. And, and one of the things we see here is, is the, the dramatic and beautiful 
human side of our Lord's life. We know that he was 100% God and he was 100% human. He was the God-man. But but what we see here is the human side. He's traveling, he's walking, and he gets thirsty. And he sees this woman drawing water, and his disciples have gone into town to buy food. And so he says, could you give me a drink of water? An unspeakable request on many levels. Approaching the woman, unspeakable for a Jewish man, especially a Jewish teacher. Taking water from a Samaritan out of a Samaritan vessel, absolutely unheard of by any Jewish person because the Samaritans were considered to be just untouchable. They were considered to be inferior. We see here in Jesus' life, and this is, this is the beauty of this story on, on one level, we see here the, the, the beauty of Jesus tearing down all the taboos, the taboos of sexism, the taboos of racism, the, the taboos of, of religious snobbery, we see Jesus just almost in one fell swoop eliminating all of those and saying there is none that are better because of their gender, there is none that are better because of their race, there is none that are better because of their religion. That, that God is doing something and God is bringing something to the gospel that is absolutely and totally different. And the old is giving way to the new. So we see water following through. It won't be, the, won't be the last time we see water. It's all through the Gospel of John, this idea of water, this idea of thirst, this idea of freshness, this refreshing. It all goes through there, and it's important that you follow that thread and see that and don't miss that. We said at the beginning of this Gospel that John is going to build his Gospel around four, oh, excuse me, around seven signs and then seven teachings that flow out of those signs. And that's true, but there's sort of a, a sub-story that runs through here that I don't want you to miss either, and that is Jesus' encounter with individuals. We sometimes think about Jesus as being the one who, you know, is on the mountainside, the Sermon on the Mount, and the multitudes are gathered, and he teaches them, or the 5,000 gathered, and he, and he feeds 5,000 men on one occasion, and nobody don't know how many women and children among that crowd, but it, the masses, the multitudes, but if you look at it with John's account, for the most part, he does account the feeding of the 5,000, but for the most part, you have Jesus encountering people on a one-on-one basis, on a very personal basis. You have him encountering all kinds. You have him encountering Nicodemus, who was the religious leader, who was the Pharisee, who was the, who was the Sanhedrin, who, who was a, a teacher of the law of Israel, and he encountered him on one level very theologically. Then you have him coming to the woman at the well, this one-on-one encounter, of, and I would see these as evangelistic encounters, this encounter with the woman at the well, not as theological maybe, not as, not as high and lofty as it was with Nicodemus, but coming to her in a very personal way, a very caring way, a very forgiving way, a very loving way. I mean, you have these encounters with different people, and, they, and he encounters them in different ways. There's something for us to be learned from that, I think, about our encounters with people when we come in touch with them in evangelistic settings. You don't approach everybody the same way. You don't deal with everybody the same way. You take them where they are, and you share the gospel with them where they are. So I want you to hear the first part of this encounter. We're not going to read the whole thing because it's all pretty much the first 43 verses, and we'll spend weeks on this section. 
But I want you to hear these first 15 verses and hear a few things beyond this about it. And then we will come to the table, which again is another picture of the old having given way to the new. Okay. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, and then a parenthetical note, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. Now, a lot has been made about that. He had to pass through Samaria, and I think there's a lot to be said about that. But, but it was not the normal way for most Jews to go from Judea to, to, to Galilee. The, the, the most common way was cross over the Jordan River, go around Samaria, and then back in. And, and Jesus, it says here, uh, he had to go through Samaria. Uh, I, I think there's a bit of the prophetic necessity there, the, the, the ministry necessity. He could have gone the other way. This was a shorter way, without a doubt. But, but he went because there was going to be an encounter there that was going to teach his disciples great things about the gospel. And they needed to see that. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, tired, and, and sitting thus by the well, it was about the sixth hour. That would place it at about noon, the sixth hour since sunup. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, Ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman. For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, now I want you to... I want you to hear that for just a minute. This is important because I want you to understand, this is just as confusing to her as Jesus saying to Nicodemus, you must be born again, okay? It's just as perplexing to her. I'm the one with the water pot. I'm the one with the drawing device. I'm the one with the cup. And you're saying, if I knew who you were, you would ask, I would ask you for living water? You, I would ask you for a drink? You don't have anything. You're just sitting here. She's perplexed by that. And she said to him, sir... You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water, pointing to the well, no doubt, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to her, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. Stop there. I want you to see the, the significance of this encounter as a way of introducing us coming to the Lord's table today. 
I want you to see this encounter is an encounter of, of, of someone who has no clue about what's taking place and one who comes saying, I'm bringing water, I'm bringing eternal life, and I'm bringing this for you to see. As Jesus continues this series of dialogues with people that we'll see throughout this scripture, in each one, he is disclosing himself a little more and a little more clearly to be the fulfillment of Old Testament promises and, and the Old Testament institutions. He, he's one by one showing these people and his disciples as they observe and others who will observe this and us who are reading this now, he's showing us and showing them that he is the fulfillment of everything the law Everything the temple, everything the tabernacle, everything the Old Testament brought to the table, Jesus saying, I am the fulfillment of that. Whether it was by the highly orthodox Nicodemus or by this questionably, obviously flawed woman, even, even heterodox woman we'll see later, who had all sorts of strange beliefs bouncing around, a lost pagan or a high orthodox Jew, didn't matter. He was the fulfillment that brings life and that brings living water to those who believe. You know, this, is not a, this idea of living water that he talks about is not a strange thing to the Scripture, not even to the Old Testament. I had Brother Scott read this morning the passage from, uh, from Zechariah, in, in Zechariah 14, where it talks about living water will flow out of Jerusalem. The idea of living water coming out of Jerusalem and flowing out of there and, and being living water to the nations. That's the whole concept that, Isaiah, uh, excuse me, that Zechariah is giving there. It's a flowing out to the nations that living water from Jerusalem, from the heart of Judaism, will become a missionary people, a missionary group, and it will demonstrate the living water of Christ to all the nations come one day when that is fulfilled. Or Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, when it says, For my people have committed two evils. Here talking about the people of Israel. My people have committed two evils. First, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. God told his people throughout all the Old Testament, I am a source of living waters. And if you believe in me and trust in me, you will know this salvation. You will know this living waters. But my people have forsaken me, the, the fountain of living waters. And secondly, they have hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. That is, they have rejected the fresh, running supply of God's water, His faithful goodness, uh, choosing instead, instead the, the stagnant waters of cisterns that just sit there and stagnate, that are not fresh, are not rich, are not even satisfying. You know, Israel did that in Jeremiah's day. Many people do that even in the church today. They, they forsake the living God, they forsake the Lord Jesus Christ and obedience to Him and worship of Him. And, and they make up their own form of religion. They make up their own broken cisterns, these things that, that won't hold any real water for any length of time anyway. And what it does hold just becomes stagnant and, and, and it's just religiosity or churchianity. It's nothing about Christ in it. The Old Testament gives us pictures of what can happen even in the New Covenant if we're not careful. I was reading John Bunyan. This will come up in a later sermon, but I was reading John Bunyan, the great Baptist Puritan, uh, this past week and reading a passage out of one of his writings. And, uh, and, and he, he talked about in that the seven stages or the seven steps to backsliding. And I, I read that and I thought, whoa, 
Bunyan could be writing in the 21st century. And yet he's talking about the same thing that Isaiah, or excuse me, Jeremiah is talking about here when he talks about these broken cisterns, forgetting the truth of God, forgetting obedience to God, forgetting following God and Christ, and, and just making up for themselves their own religion, their own ideas, and trying to follow after that. But he says there is nothing. You're forsaking the goodness of God, and, and you're forsaking His freshness, His goodness, His newness in your life. Zechariah and Ezekiel both talked about that living water. Zechariah in 14.8. Ezekiel in 47.9 and 10, he says, It will come about that every living creature which swarms in every place where the river goes will live. And there will be very many fish, for these waters go there and the others become fresh, so that everything will live where the river goes. Again, talking about a living water, this, this flowing out of Jerusalem, away, out of the people of God, that touches men and women's lives everywhere in Ezekiel. Isaiah, even in chapter 55, verses 1 through 5, Isaiah talks about, you know, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Come and buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy. Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear to me, God says. Listen that you may live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercy shown to David. Isaiah is saying the same thing here. If you thirst, he's quoting God here, if you thirst, come to me. I will quench your thirst. I will satisfy your thirst. Now, obviously here, he's not talking about the kind of thirst that I can satisfy by taking a sip of this water. That helps. But in a few minutes, I'm going to walk over here and preach a little more, and I'm going to have to go back and get another drink of that water. He's not talking about something that satisfies a physical thirst. He's talking about a thirst for reality. He's talking about a thirst that is a thirst for God. Come and be thirsty. Come and desire. Come and seek. Come and want the, the refreshing nature of the presence of God. That's what we are to seek for, for satisfying the thirst, the thirst of our very soul. Thirst is not for natural water, but for God, for eternal life in the presence of God. And the thirst is not met by removing this aching desire, but by pouring out the Spirit within the life of the one who is thirsty, within the life of the one who desires. So Jesus is saying to this woman here, I want you to understand, I can give you this water to drink and you'll never thirst again. And the woman, just like Nicodemus, makes it clear that her desire is for the natural, the purely naturalistic understanding of water. She says, then Lord, give it to me. Because it's hot in the middle of the day. And, and I have to come out here by myself. The women usually came in groups early morning or late evening. But this woman, obviously because of her chosen lifestyle, because of her, her, her rejection by the community, had no one to come with. She came in the middle of the day, the hottest part of the day, all by herself. And she said, man, if I can get some of that water, I won't have to fool with this anymore. Totally on a natural level. 
Jesus says, I want you to understand that what I have to give you is not water that you can get out of, out of Jacob's well. What I have to give you, this water that will quench your, your thirst for all of eternity, that will spring up from within you as eternal life, it's not water that you can draw out of the ground. It's not a spring. It's not something that is natural, but it's something that's supernatural. It's a spring of refreshment that comes by the Spirit, that springs up from within you and the Spirit is poured out in you, springs up to eternal life. Jesus said, I want you to know that. And I want you to know that. You know, a pastor's greatest desire, pastor's burning desire for everybody whom God places under his ministry is that you would come to know what it means to be have your thirst quenched totally by the spring of the Spirit of God. A pastor desires for every one of you to know first eternal life because of salvation, by coming to Christ. That, that, that's the beginning. But that's not the end. This spring of living water that, that is the spirit that indwells you and directs you and guides you and gives you life is something that, that, that causes the idols to be cast away, that causes the things of this world that demand your attention, that demand your worship to be put aside and never interfere with the true and the living God, the worship of the true and the living God. This living water that quenches your thirst is one that, that says, listen, come to me. Come to me completely. Come to me without reservation. Come to me totally. And no eternal life. For too many believers, for too many Christians who are living in the confines of a church week after week, to them the, this idea of eternal life is something that's going to happen someday. You know, we look out there and we say, someday. I'll be in the presence of God. Someday I'll know eternal life. Someday I'll be with Him for all of eternity. And you know what? That's absolutely true if you're a believer. Absolutely true. But if you're a believer, you must come to realize that eternal life is not something that happens the day you die. It's not something that happens when all of a sudden the, the heart quits beating, the brain quits functioning, and the spirit departs the body, and all of a sudden you're in the presence of God. You say, oh, now this is eternal life. Boy, it'll be life like you've never known. But I want you to understand that what Jesus is saying here to this woman is this is a life that begins right now. It's a refreshment. It's a cleansing. It is a, a, a covering the thirst, the spiritual thirst of life, that begins right now. It's not something you have to wait on. It's not something you just muddle through this life. But it's something that begins and quenches your thirst now. You say, well, what does that have to do with the Lord's Supper? Well, let me tell you what it has to do with it. This meal is in much the same way Jesus will explain later on in the gospel 
This meal is that which, if you know the reality of what is going to be pictured here in just a few moments, if you know the reality of the bread and the wine, the juice, the fruit of the vine, if you know the reality of that in your life, then you're eating so that you'll never be spiritually hungry again, and you're, you're drinking to, to acknowledge that you'll never be spiritually thirsty again, and it's gone beyond just the water, but it's the new wine, it's the new bread, it's the person of Christ that reigns and rules forever and is my source of having my hunger, my hunger satisfied and my thirst quenched in the presence of a holy God. This bread and juice here doesn't do anything. It can't save you. It's not a matter of saying, okay, as long as I eat this bread and drink this, I'm, I'm okay with God if I can do this every now and then. As, as some believe, they've got to do that in order to stay right with God. That's not true. This is merely a reminder of what has already happened in your life. I have come to Christ, and I have taken of His life, and I've eaten of His life, His body, the bread. We don't believe that when you take that bread and you put it in your mouth, it becomes the literal body of Christ. We don't believe that. It's symbolic. It's memorial. It's representative of the body of Christ. Taking the, the cup and drinking of the cup, we don't believe that, that when that goes in your mouth, it becomes literal blood of Christ. It's symbolic. It's representative. It's to remind us. That on that cross, he died as our substitute. And as he told Nicodemus, all who believe in that sacrifice, all who put their trust in what took place on that cross, will have eternal life. It's like he tells the one with the well, and we'll look at much more in depth next week and on the weeks to come. If you drink of this water that I give, then that water becomes wine, and that wine is my blood which was poured out for you on that cross. So if you drink, you'll never be thirsty again, spiritually thirsty again, because I quench your thirst. Paul told us in 1 Corinthians that we come to this table very carefully. We come to this table as those who are in the family of God, we come to this table as those who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I remind you, when these elements are passed, this is for believers. If you're here and not a Christian, first thing I want you to do is consider what these things mean. And, and just ask God to show you His grace and show you His Son. If you're not a believer, pray that. Watch the bread go by. Watch the juice go by. But don't partake of it if you're not a believer. It's not to single you out and not to say, oh, 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 look at that. We're not looking. This is between you and God. But if you're not a believer, if you've never trusted Christ, you don't need to take of this. You don't need to take of these elements. If you're here and you are a baptized believer in Jesus Christ, I invite you to this table. Whether you're a member of Grace Baptist or not, this is not Grace Baptist Supper. This is not the Baptist Church Supper. This is not the this is not our supper. This is His Supper. It's the Lord's Supper. It's for all who are His disciples. 
If you're our guest today and you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, I invite you to the table with us. Now, again, we don't police that. We can't. Nobody's going to look to see if you're taking of it or not taking of it. I do ask parents to kind of police your children on this if they're not believers. Help them pass it on by. If you know the Lord, I invite you to come to this table with us this morning. It's a glorious time for believers to remember. Don't do it casually. Don't do it rotely. Consider that bread that you hold in your hand. Consider that cup that you hold in your other hand. As we pass those elements, you will have a period of time where you will have that bread and you'll have that cup both in your hands. Consider the body that hung on the cross to pay the price for your sin and to give you of His righteousness. Consider the blood that was shed there to initiate the new covenant. Would you pray with me? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm going to ask the deacons who are going to pass these elements to join us, join me at the front and prepare to serve these elements.